Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. From AccuWeather, this is everything under the sun. Real news and real stories covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in. This is episode 13 of our series of Everything Under the Sun here in 2023. Here in mid-April, I know the back of my neck is starting to get zapped when I'm out for any length of time working in my garden or playing disc golf. Talk about uh, dermatology and skin and care and how you should be thinking about protecting yourself from the sun already, if you're not, as we get ready for summer. And we also talk about weather and history. Evan Myers will join me about the midnight ride of Paul Revere and how the weather impacted that whole scenario. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Friends, as many of you know, I spent a lot of time outside gardening and disc golfing. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've increasingly felt that zap of the sun and regretted a couple of times not being smart and grabbing my hat or putting on some protection by the way uh, on the way out the door. So certainly now as we head here into the last few weeks of solar spring, it struck me that I may not be the only one who's doing that. Uh, we've been so warm in a lot of places across the country over the winter. Didn't have to worry that much about sun exposure. But now as we get into April and May, we should be thinking about it. So I thought it was a good idea to rem- remind myself and all of us that listen here to everything under the sun about what we need to do to keep our skin healthy and happy as we go from spring into summer. So we reached out to the American Academy of Dermatology and happy that Dr. Anthony M. Rossi, founder of Dr. Rossi Derm MD uh, joins us and uh, Dr. Rossi, uh, amazing credentials, uh, assistant attending at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City, a place that I'm very familiar with and certainly uh, has uh, been uh, part of uh, other places too and uh, a sought after person in terms of dermatology and surgery and things. And Dr. Rossi, it's great for you to be with us. And I'm sure like me, you like to spend a lot of time outdoors and stuff and it gets difficult this time of year because we're not yet into summer mode thinking it's only April and we may not have to protect ourselves as much, but this is a critical time where we have to start sending ourselves the foundations for how to be prepared as we get into the heart of summer and, and what to do in this in this critical time where I think my skin, I know, doesn't react well to the changes in humidity and temperature that we see in spring. So all those things are on the table to talk with you about. It's good to have you here with us here on Everything Under the Sun. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the introduction and, you know, happy to chat about this because it's something we talk about every day with our patients and whether it really depends like where you live. Some of us are experiencing four seasons like here in New York, you know, other places down south or West, you know, you're going to see the sun every day, you know, and a high UV index almost every day. So it's really dependent upon where you live. But there's just really some good practices that we should all get into and we should really embrace for our skin. 
Part of that to me, Dr. Rossi, has been for me to understanding my skin type and the way that my skin is and my and my face and those kinds of things and parts of my body are constructed because of different levels of putting out oils and things like that. Some people, you know, I have, I have different zones where one area is really oily, one area is really dry. And so sometimes like that, if we don't know, some of these one size or one kind of type fits all scenarios may not be the best for us. So is that is that something maybe that you would recommend right out of the gate is for those of us who spend a lot of time out in the sun to understand what our skin is like and how to best protect it in that regard? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, know thyself, right? So you have to know your skin, know your skin type, what you're sensitive to, or if you have this sort of combination oily and dry skin, or if you're just overall dry, you know, to begin with, it's really important that you protect your skin and the epidermal barrier. And that's what our skin is. The main function of it is to do is to protect, you know, what's inside. So it it creates a very well-established barrier and using something like a sunblock every day is not only important because we're protecting against the UV damage that is occurring on the daily basis, but it also is helpful in the long-term a, to prevent skin cancer, but also B, to prevent a- photo aging, or that's the aging of our skin due to uh, UV rays. Because every time we get hit by the sun, depending on the intensity, your skin is trying to protect itself and repair itself. And if you're getting DNA damage from the UV rays, then our skin tries to repair those. Uh, but eventually, if it's too much DNA damage and you form too many of these like signature UV mutations, you can form a skin cancer there. And so sunblock every day is very helpful. And I try to get my patients to get into that routine. And even when it's not super sunny outside, even when there's some cloud coverage, we know that certain UV rays will penetrate through the clouds like UVA. And we know both UVA and UVB can contribute to both aging and skin cancer. And the idea of a broad spectrum sunblock is really helpful because it's going to protect against both of those UV exposures. So it's two things we're looking at there. Um, everybody looks at the number. And of course, you know, in our society, the higher the number, the bigger the serving size, the better it is. Yeah. So SPF 2000 has got to be great, right? Versus SPF 20, 30, 50. And now I'm seeing a lot of hundreds out there. Um, the other thing is, as you said, um, and I've gotten familiar with this, is you got to look at the the spectrum of UV uh, that it's covering, right? And, and you want yeah. to be as broad spe- spectrum as possible. Definitely, when you're choosing between sunscreens, there's two main types. There's a what we call historically a chemical sunscreen. Uh, and these are chemical filters that block out uh, the UVA and UVB. And there's usually a combination of these chemical sunscreens because they need to protect against the broad spectrum. And then there's mineral sunscreens, which we call the physical blockers, that's zinc and titanium based. And these are sort of the historical ones that people remember like zinc oxide putting putting the white stuff on your nose like all you you knew your friend was a a a lifeguard if they had that big white stuff on their nose all the time right yeah and that's how it works It, it basically forms this like barrier and these minerals basically reflect the uv rays but what's great about the new ones is that they're more micronized so that you don't get that white cast as much which is really important and the good thing about the physical sunscreens which I tend to recommend the zinc and titanium uh, based ones is that they're less sensitizing 
or sort of irritating than the chemical ones. That being said, we want people to wear sunscreen. So if you prefer the chemical ones and they work for you, that's wonderful and you should keep using that. And then on top of that, we look at the SPF, right? So SPF is not sort of the strength of the sunscreen, but it's the sun protection factor, meaning how long it will take you to burn uh, from UVB, which that's the that's the caveat. SPF is a measure of UVB protection. And then there's a new sort of measurement called PA, and there's pluses after that. So PA plus, 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 you can have four pluses after it. And that's a measure of UVA protection. And so you'll probably see those new labels on sunscreens as they um, roll out. And that's something to consider. And we, as dermatologists, recommend anything SPF 30 or above, because at that 30 mark, the curve of protection is usually plateauing and it's pretty level. And so anything 30 or above is going to give you good protection. But again, the caveat is that this is all based on reapplication every two hours. So in the lab, the reapplication is every two hours. So if people are not reapplying, that's an issue. When I read these sunscreens, they're talking about waterproof, this proof, that proof. But if you really read the fine print, it does require reapplication. And I think that's something that sometimes we get lazy on or just forget. You know, we're out and about and we're having fun and all of a sudden, oh, it's been on three or four hours. And then uh, there we go. We're into that burn territory. Any other things in terms of uh, not only looking at making sure you reapply, but also I think a, a big key is getting it applied before you get out there. Exactly. It's exactly right. Because you really want to get a good base of sunscreen on so and letting it apply and it has to work, right? Especially for the chemical sunscreens, you really do need to apply earlier and let it sit in, you know, form that protection, which is important. So definitely that's why I try to get people into the habit of doing it before they leave the house, um, anywhere that's exposed. Of course, we love things like sun shirts, sun hats, sunglasses, you want to protect the tops of the ears, places where, you know, people sort of forget behind the mm. ear. Really. <laughs> yeah. The spray sunscreens are helpful if you're going to do your back or your legs. We we tell people not to inhale those sprays, obviously, because they're aerosol. So you don't want to inhale that. But, you know, for the hard to reach places and if you're alone, that may be quite helpful. But again, you need to have a good even distribution because that's important as well. You don't want to miss some areas. So having a buddy, of course, is you know helpful to, to help you apply on the, the back and the hard to reach areas. But if not, you can use like the sprays in those scenarios as well. And definitely, you know, the idea that if you're going to go in the water or you're going to play sports and you're going to start to sweat or, or get wet or submerge, you need reapplication. Um, nothing is going to stay on after, you know, a very intense sweat or even, you know, submerging in a pool or an ocean. So you really need to re reapply. Talking with Dr. Anthony M. Rossi. He is a board-certified dermatologist and a part of our friends at the American Academy of Dermatology talking to us about this uh, idea of, of, of really making sure that you're thinking about it. And you, as uh, responsible adults, probably have to think about it for those that are younger who don't think about it as much. And you have to be a little bit of that nag. It's time to put it on. You know, we got to do it. We got to do it. And then even I think some older folks get a little lax. My grandparents sometimes, you know, we tell them and tell them and, you know, oh, I'm too old. It doesn't bother me. You know, I can get as much sun. But, but still, I mean, this idea that can't be too young or too old. And you certainly, 
in this day and age, I mean, we get so many things now, Dr. Rossi, that are, I see it's a moisturizer, but it has 30 SPF. So is that a good thing or or the fact that we have SPF and stuff in just general products? Okay. Or should we be still concentrating on each of the products we need? The, the sunscreen and the SPF, and then the moisturizer on top of that and those kinds of things. Exactly. There's a lot of combo products. So like what's really great is like chaps, you know, uh, lip balm with SPF in it because your lips are constantly getting hit by this, the sun as well. And the lower lip more so than the upper lip because it protrudes a little bit more. And so I'm, I do Mohs surgery, which is a form of skin cancer surgery. And, you know, we cut out skin cancers on the lips all too often. Right. And so the idea that your lip balm has SPF in it, that's wonderful. And you want to protect early on again, you know, you can still form skin cancers later on in life. So the protection, the photo protection with sun protective clothing and with sunblocks is really important uh, for, especially for younger adults. If you are a redhead, redheads make different melanin than people with darker hair or uh, darker skin. The quality of melanin may not be as photoprotective as other darker U melanin that we see in people with uh, black hair or darker skin. And that red melanin or theomelanin actually is not as protective. So redheads especially can be predisposed to getting skin cancer. So it's really important for you to have good protection early on. If you have a family history of skin cancer, of course, like melanoma, it's really important to protect yourself and to get skin checks because there is a genetic component to uh, skin cancer like melanoma as well. And then a final question, um, what else can we do on top of just the common sense stuff and wearing the hats, wearing the protection, making sure that we're using sunscreen, whichever type we're more comfortable with? Um, I brought up moisturizing. Are there other things that we should be doing to our skin before and then after prolonged exposure to the sun and all the elements here in the summer? If you do get a sunburn, uh, which we always want to avoid, right? The best, <laughs> the best thing is to avoid that. But if you do get a sunburn, you do have to treat the skin well. And, you know, cool compresses are going to help soothe the irritation, soothe the inflammation. If you're not allergic to them, or if you don't have something like an ulcer or or contraindication to taking anti-inflammatories like NSAIDs, that can help relieve some of the inflammation and the pain associated with a sunburn. Good barrier protection is really important because you don't want to lose the water and the moisture through the skin. So uh, nice bland emollients. It's going to be helpful uh, to prevent uh, water loss in that area and staying hydrated also with uh, hydration inside taking in water is is very helpful. Of course, you do not want to get a burn. Um, If it is a severe burn, it's important to see your physician like any blistering Mm. because those and those can have, you know, lifelong consequences. A severe burn or a blistering sunburn in childhood can predispose you to skin cancer later on in life. So I think you know, now we're putting out this message uh, really, you know, hard and really wide. And we really want to make sure that people understand because there's a lot of ways to prevent this, right? I love going outside. I love playing sports. I just want to make sure my skin's protected when I'm doing it. Dr. Rossi, great stuff. Thanks for spending time with us. And uh, hopefully uh, we can do this again. And we talk about the ways to protect our skin because, I mean, we want to be outside. We want to be in the elements, but uh, it certainly is something that we have to think about. Thanks so much for joining us here today. 
No, thank you. Thanks for spreading the word. Again, we thank Dr. Rossi, who's the founder of Dr. Rossi Derm MD Skin Care. And you can find him and his information and his products at www.rossidermmd.com. That's www.rossidermmd.com. We'll have that link in our notes section as well. Again, thanks to Dr. Anthony M. Rossi and the American Academy of Dermatology for supplying the information that I think we all need. Here's something that we will hear about that maybe we didn't know the full story. The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, I'm sure you learned that poem when you were younger. Well, we uh, certainly have a weather angle to that story, and Evan Myers joins me next to talk about it. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids lunch or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. We welcome you back into Everything Under the Sun with our history expert, Evan Myers. As we get here to the middle of the month, wanted to talk about 1775, uh, something that uh, for younger people in their history lessons, the ride of Paul Revere. Are you going to are you going to read? This? Yes, I. Yes, I. Yes, I, 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 I am. was going to offer, but you're, yes, you're chomping well, at the bit. No, Let's this do is, it. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. He said to his friend, if the British march by land or sea from the town tonight, hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the old North Church Tower as a signal light. One if by land and two if by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm for the country folk to be up and to arm. Then he said good night and with muffled oar silently rode to the Charlestown shore. Those are the opening lines of the immortal poem Paul Revere's Ride by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And the reason I it has a special place yeah. in my heart that 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 was one of my father's favorite poems. Oh, yeah. And when I was six or seven years old, I memorized it. I remember he was at work and yeah. my mother was talking and I memorized it so when he got home I said it to him. But it's always uh, uh, being a history buff, sure. It 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 was a perfect mix for me. And the poem is about Paul Revere's ride, but Lexington and Concord and the opening shots of uh, the Revolutionary War. So much of that was depend of that whole sequence in the first twenty four hours of that depended on the weather. It's really interesting. Because it was been gloomy, right, in that area for for a while, rainy and gloomy. It was so as it was rainy, the roads got muddy. But to start out with, and that's what the you know, the poem talks about. Uh, Paul Revere's person, uh, the, the other f- person who hung the, um, the, lantern. The, the lantern, Paul Revere rode across Boston Harbor and was in, across the Charles River in Charlestown. And he was going to watch to see if the British would march out through the neck, it was called, a very right. thin uh, land mass, because at that time, Boston itself stuck out into the harbor before they filled in the back bay, yep. which they did. Right. Uh, Over so, towards Logan Airport. Right? So, so you had to walk out, so you had to march out through this very thin 
thin isthmus of land. So either the British were going to march out that way or they were going to take boats across the, the harbor and land in Charleston and march that way to look for the stores of ammunition and guns and gunpowder and even a few cannon that were held by the militia uh, of different towns in interior Massachusetts. And so by hanging those lanterns, Revere would be able to spread the alarm to Middlesex County. That's what Middlesex Mm -hmm. means. Middlesex County in Massachusetts, which way the British were coming Mm -hmm. so they could prepare. But the day before, as you mentioned, it rained a lot. The rain moved away, but it was foggy and it was misty and he at first so he there was some concern it. whether he could see it or not he could right? but a, a cold front moved through wow and cleared it all out the so wind came the, in so the, the, the clouds it, went away and, and so uh, he so yeah. he so he was able to see it and so one lantern was hung that would mean march over land two water and two were hung he could see them both and so it was interesting the old north, old north that was known, the old north church was probably had the highest steeple mm. in Boston. Yep. So he was able to look across and see that. It clearly uh, allowed him to ride off, and he rode off in history. But the next day, the very next day, was the Battle of of Lexington and Concord. Concord yeah. And so, because he was making this mad dash to. Middlesex County to wake people up just west of Boston, and he was also trying to avoid the British patrols. He got stopped by one briefly in the middle of the night, <laughs> but the roads were soft and muddy, and from the heavy rains from that storm we so talked about, the, the didn't right clear before, yep. so he was able to escape. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't the last time that, and so he was able to make his ride along with a few other uh, riders as he galloped from town to town, saying, "The British are coming! The British are coming!" And he turned. Turned out all the uh, local the, the people, farmers, did, right? local yeah. people, and there, there's one quote that I love from a book I read from Rick Atkinson, who uh, wrote a book, a popular book that was published a few years ago, just a few years ago, called "The British Are Coming." And one of the quotes he has in there, he said, "Across the colony, that's the colony of Massachusetts, in an image that would endure for centuries, does, yeah. solemn men grabbed their flintlocks and stalked off in search of danger. They stalked off to stop the British." So, because they heard the the cries of this one man the, the, riding through the wilderness, in terms of uh, hoping the, to get people uh, activated, and, yeah. and and so they did activate them. They yeah. were they were there in Lexington as the British arrived. There were not very many patriots assembled yet. The British appeared about seven in the morning because they marched once they landed in Charleston. They marched all night, so they got there about seven seven thirty in the morning, just as the sun was coming up. And uh, the the the, uh, the descriptions where you could see there were bayonets gleaming in the sun as they marched into the uh, the Lexington Green, and they told the the British officer in charge told them to disperse, and they refused, and the British fired. Now there's always uh, been a debate who fired first, the British. The, the colonists, you know, the patriots, somebody in some farm somewhere. <laughs> right. But it was called the shot heard round the world because it started the American Revolution and the, the rise of popular democratic revolutions all over the world. The French Revolution followed and a lot of other ones. But a, a number of patriots were killed. There weren't very many there, maybe 20, and they, they, they retreated. And the British uh, were looking for gunpowder, guns, and they really couldn't find any there, but they were told that in the town of Concord, that's where they were. So they, they marched off to Concord some miles down the road. By that time, all the many of the militias, not all of them, but many of the militias from around Massachusetts, northern Connecticut, and even parts of, uh, of New Hampshire 
marched southward and met them there, and they met them with overwhelming force, and the British were outnumbered. They were outflanked, and it was a rout. It was a total defeat for the British, and they had to march back to Boston as they were sniped at all the way back to Boston, and they lost many, many men. It was was a very lopsided battle. The interesting thing, though, about the weather again is the British planned to bring their cannons along with them. Mm to teach the rebels a, a, a lesson. lesson. They right. were going to blast the rebels and blast their houses right. and destroy Lexington right. and Concord. Couldn't move them in their mud. Well, they couldn't. They had to leave them back in Charleston yeah. because the, the roads were muddy. So all this stuff in a lot of ways turned on the weather of just one storm the day before. Two days in history that we're thankful for that cold front to come through. There you go. Friends, that'll do it for this week's episode. Next week, we're going to do a subject that we talked about a couple of years ago. Camping became extremely popular during the pandemic. And Toby O'Rourke, the CEO of KOA Campgrounds, joined us then. She'll join us again to see where we are in camping and everything else outside here in the outdoor world industries. Toby O'Rourke will be our guest next week on Everything Under the Sun from HackyWeather.com. For all of our team members, hundreds of them across the world who work every day to weatherproof your life, for my executive to producers Ken Prell and Andrew Robb. And to you, the listeners, thank you so much for listening. I'm Dean DeVore. We'll talk to you next week with everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. 